0: Welcome to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Moulter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today. Sit tight, get your Bible, and get ready to get in the Word with us as we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book through the Word of God. Well, with that, let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7. The title of our study is, Called to be Different. From the call of Abraham to the exodus uh, out of Egypt, the people of Israel were expected to be different from the nations around them. And it wasn't because they were special than any other people. God had called them to himself. And one of the songs that we sang earlier was, uh, give me clean hands, and it, it was talking about the God of Jacob. And I love that song because if you know the story of Jacob, uh, he is not a perfect guy. Uh, and I can, I think sometimes we can identify with him a little bit more than some of the other people uh, in the Old Testament, like maybe like Moses. Um, he he was a conniver. He was not perfect. And, and there's a point where he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and and uh, and yet, there's a point where he, he gets his hip out of kind of joint and, and cries uncle, so to speak. And, and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob means um, hill catcher or scoundrel, if you will. And God changes his name to Israel, which means governed by God. And so this was a people that were separated, a people who were to be governed by God. No longer doing things their own way, but doing things the Lord's way. And we looked at, so far in chapter 5, we saw God gave them the Ten Commandments. We've looked at that. And then in chapter 6 last week, uh, we saw there were a couple motives for Israel's obedience. In the first part of our study last week, we saw the motive of love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and love is the greatest motive of all in life. Um, There's a lot of people that try and use fear to motivate. Love is the greatest motive motivation of all time. And then we concluded with uh, our study, uh, the motive of gratitude. Giving thanks to what, uh, giving thank you, uh, thank you to the Lord for what he's given to us, right? Heart of gratitude, appreciation for all that God has done for us. And we, we looked at what Christ has done for us that we should have that heart of, of thankfulness for uh, what he's done and, and what he's going to do, uh, lest we forget the good works of the Lord. And now here in chapter 7, we move into the third motive, which is separation from sin and separation unto the Lord. And, and the separation is not a bad thing. We're going to see that this is actually a good thing that God has for his people, uh, Israel, and we'll see how that applies to us as well. And my hope is, as we look at this chapter, we'll want to live up to all that God has called us to do and all that he's called us to be. And so with that, let's take a look at the first five verses here. In chapter 7, we'll see that uh, separation uh, has safety within it. And we'll, we'll take a look at that here as uh, Moses reminds the people of what the Lord is doing and what he's about to do. So picking up here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and he cast out many nations before you, The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from me, following me, to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But this, but thus, you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. What we'll pause there. We see here in verse one, God begins to list these seven nations. There's one that's missing, the termites. Um, But but we see these were were pesty nations. They were into idolatry, they were into worshiping uh, false gods, and in their practices, if you want to Google, look up these nations later, there was demonic worship involved. Uh, It was not a pretty picture. And God knew that if they didn't get these people out of the land that he'd already promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, this basically people squatting on the land, taking possession of the land that didn't belong to them, if they didn't get them out of the land, they were going to be uh, distracting from them focusing on the Lord and really uh, become uh, deterrents to them. They would become uh, uh, an enemy, if you will, and cause them to begin to worship idols. And so God's calling them uh, to not make deals with those nations, but to destroy them. And God gives several warnings in this chapter, which all have good reasons, and we'll look at those. Um, But we see this call of separation. It's a call of separation for safety, not necessarily isolation. And what I mean by that is that um, Israel was called to be a light unto the nations around them. They were called to be a light unto the Gentiles. And the term Gentiles just simply means non-Jewish people. So they were called to be a light to all the nations around them. There were times where they did do that, but overall they failed at that. And it wasn't until Christ came that he established the new covenant. And then he told his followers to go into all the world and make disciples. And he called them to be a light to those around, right? He called them to be salt and light. And, And also said that he's the light of the world and calls us to be the light of the world. And we can't do that if we stay within the four walls of a church building, right? He's called us to go and, and talk to people and, and get to know people. And so we see that there's this call of separation but not necessarily isolation. And, and true biblical separation is contact without contamination, right? Uh, and I think the perfect example is, is of looking at this is Jesus Christ. Uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 19, it says that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, I don't know why they make that division, because apparently tax collectors were worse, but there were sinners too, right? Um, So, Jesus ate with people who were sinners, yet he wasn't defiled by that. He wasn't contaminated from that sin. And so, he's holy and separate from sinners, but he interacted with sinners. He even called them to to follow after him. So Jesus had real world with, with people, real contact with the real world, but he wasn't contaminated from those interactions. Um, and so we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. It reminds me, years ago, I was leading an evangelism class in California at Calvary Chico, and I was talking about how we want to be winsome and get to know people and help people, and, um, and there was a gal who had that desire um, but she went about it in the wrong way. And uh, there was a guy that she began to, to talk to about the Lord and the guy said, hey, I'm out of cigarettes, can you go get me some cigarettes? And she should have said, no, I'm not gonna do that. Instead, she went and did that and brought him back. And, and I said, well, how did it go after that? And she said, he didn't wanna hear anything from me. I said, well, maybe the Lord is trying to teach you through that, that uh, when you build a bridge to people, you want it to be a one-way bridge. Right, you want to bring them to you, right, to the Lord. You don't want to go over to their direction and walk away from the Lord. And it was a valuable lesson that she learned that when I interact with sinners, there's a way that can be helpful and there's a way that can actually be hurtful. And, and we don't want to be contaminated uh, from that uh, pollution. I know some people that have a, had a heart to want to go into the bars and reach people. And, and, uh, and that can be a very interesting dynamic with alcohol around you and, and trying to reach people and um, maybe out front or something like that or more 101 later on would be better. Um, maybe when they're in a clear mind and they're, they're thinking clearly. But we see that Christ did this perfectly, that he could interact with people and he could share the good news with them, he could share truth with them and, the, and, the, and he wasn't contaminated from that. So God calls us to be in the world but not of the world. And we have to be cautious as we go about that. We also see the Lord did not want Israel to enter into a marriage with these seven nations and be led astray to worship their idols. This was important for Israel's uh, national spiritual and physical health, um, and really for their future. I know some people have wondered, okay, you want to go in, you want to destroy the idols, and get the people out of the land, but, but why destroy the silver and the gold? Can't we reuse those things? And, and those things had to be destroyed because they were associated with demonic worship. And I think the principle that God has showed us here, he doesn't want us to keep temptations around the home that are gonna lead us into idolatry. We should get those things out of our life. We also see there's this part about marriage. Uh, And this is not a prohibition against marrying people of different ethnicities or cultures or things like that. It's a prohibition of marrying people who don't worship the God that we worship. It's a prohibition against marrying those that are going to lead us astray from the Lord to go worship false gods or false idols. And so God is warning the people about this, that they could be led astray. and, And this is exactly what happened to the nation of Israel later on. One of King David's sons, Solomon, uh, he's been called one of the wisest men who ever lived on earth, besides Jesus Christ. And yet, there wasn't—he didn't consistently apply that wisdom to his life. And he thought through these many marriages, there'd be peace, and there was through these peace deals. But after a while, his wives uh, turned his heart away from the Lord over to worshiping idols. And, be, and before long, there were idols all over the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was led astray to worshiping idols. And so we see there's this, this temptation that can happen through uh, marrying people who don't worship the Lord. In the New Testament, we're called to be equally yoked. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? but what fellowship has light with darkness? If you've never heard that term yoke before, it was this wooden bar that they put over two oxen and that they were stronger together as they, as they plowed the field together. If you had one that was larger, one that was smaller, or two different animals, it wouldn't work. They would just kind of go in circles and it would be all over the place. It would be a disaster. And so the idea here is that attempting to live the Christian life with a non-Christian is going to end in disaster. You're just going to end up going in circles. And I would say this would also include um, what some have defined the term as missionary dating. I don't know if you've heard that before. But that's where a believer says, you know, I really like so-and-so. I know they're not a believer, but I'm going to win them to Christ. And I'm just going to keep dating this person even though that they want nothing to do with the Lord, and I think through my actions and my love for Jesus, it's going to spread to them, and they're going to want to come to Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of the times, from what I've seen, it doesn't work out that way. Uh, they're kind of disillusioned to the fact that that person really doesn't want the Lord. And, and I've encouraged people, what you can do is focus on your relationship with the Lord, pray for that person. If they come to Christ, great. But if you rush into that relationship and you decide to get married, you're going to find you're going to be unequally yoked the rest of your life. And it's not going to, it's not going to be great. Um, it oftentimes ends in disappointment and disaster. And God knows what's best for us. He wants us to be in a marriage where our spouse encourages us, uplifts us, um, that we have someone we can trust uh, as we're wrestling through things, that someone that will pray for us and be an encouragement to us. That's God's desire for marriage. And so that's what God is telling his people, that that's what he wants them to focus upon. So God calls for us to be separate from the world of sin and be different as his followers. Next we'll see there's a separation and, and, and what comes with that is blessing. And we'll see that here in verse six and we'll go all the way through uh, verse 16. He says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more numbered than any of the other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes and the judgments, which I commanded you today to observe them. Verse 12. Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which you swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land your grain and your new wine, your oil and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock, and the land which you swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male nor female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all the sicknesses, and and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known but will lay them on all those who hate you. Also, you shall destroy all the peoples of whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall have no pity on them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. We'll pause there. We see that God begins to call his people to a separation, and that with that separation comes blessing commentator and pastor warden wiersbe said privilege brings responsibility and israel's was to obey god's commandments for then he could bless them as he promised god's covenant was a covenant of love and he would show his love by blessing them if they obeyed and he would correct them if they disobeyed and that is true under the old covenant right the lord blessed them with with children and grandchildren and uh, the harvest was plentiful and their numbers grew greatly. And he would increase their crops, their livestock. They'd have enough to eat, and they'd have a, a surplus to sell. And because of their obedience, the land would escape the terrible diseases that were upon them in Egypt and the Egyptians, and some of the odd medical things that they did in Egypt. If you want to go Google and look that later, they did some weird things with frogs and put the guts on their hands and their sores to think that that would heal it and actually made things worse. And so God's telling his, his people, reminding them that his way is best, right? Uh, the way to deal with things. And so he's reminding them that if they follow him, there will be blessings that come with that. And again, privilege brings responsibility. And as Christians, our responsibility is to obey the Lord. Because then he can, prom, then they can bless us as he's promised, right? That he, he has good things in store for us. And God's covenant is in Christ, right? That's where we're going to find our blessings is in Jesus Christ. And he will show his love by blessing us if we obey him, if we disobey, as it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, he will correct us. God disciplines those he loves. And as, as a parent, uh, you know this, and you've probably said this to your kids, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? And as a kid, you think, What? doesn't make any sense. How is this hurting you, mom or dad? This is hurting me. And then later as you grow up and you've got kids you're on, you're like, I begin to understand. This is not something that parents like to do, but it's something that's necessary. And God does that over and over again with Israel. And he does that in the New Testament with the early church. And he continues to do that today. And he does that because he loves us, right? He wants what's best for us. Now, this does not mean that we obey so that we are therefore blessed. Uh, It means we obey because we love God. We obey because we know his way is best. We've tried it our own way, didn't work out very well. We know that he's got a better plan for us and so we go his plan because we trust him. And as we gain that trust and and learn more about trusting him and, and see that he is trustworthy and he's got a faithful track record, the more we love him, the more we realize he's a good God. And he's working all things together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We also see that the Lord blessed them with children and grandchildren. Their numbers grew greatly, and I believe the Lord can do that same thing with us today. The Lord can bless us, and we can increase in numbers. I know some couples that want kids, and they haven't been able to have them yet. I know other couples that are doing foster care, and they've got kids in the home. Uh, we've been able to interact with quite a bit of them in our community. Uh, I know others who have already gone through the adoption process and they love those kids in their home. Uh, they're their kids. I know others that um, have kids in the home from a previous marriage and those kids become their kids. They, they take them on and they love those kids. I know other people that um, are still waiting Still waiting for what the Lord would show them. When I found no matter the situation, uh, God gives us many opportunities to have kids in the home if that's what we desire. And I've had some say to me, Well, Pastor Tim, I, I really want biological kids first. Uh, I really want to keep our bloodline intact, right? Because that's, that's so important to me. And I've, I've talked to a few of those people and, and I've. Um, kind of prodded them a little bit. And I, and I said, well, if that's really, really important, when you married your spouse, hopefully they were not of the same bloodline, right? That would be kind of weird. But you've married a complete stranger. Their blood is not even related to yours. Maybe same blood type, but that's probably as close as you'd get, right? And so that person, that spouse becomes closer to you than anyone else blood related, right? There, you become one with that person. And if that's true, then maybe that desire of love, that desire for what God has within a marriage and within a family of oneness, is more important than blood relation. And so I think God gives us those opportunities. If we're really seeking it, uh, God can help us. And I know there are others that they just don't sense that God's called them to that, and I encourage them they can be mentors to other people. Right? They can be spiritual parents, in a sense, and helping be spiritual aunts and uncles, right? and, and help those around them that have kids. Or maybe God calls them to be more active on the mission field. Uh, there's something about that where you're, you're single or you're married and you don't have kids. You can travel a whole lot more. You can go and do a lot more things and interact with people and proclaim the gospel. When you have a family, uh, that becomes your mission field. That becomes your priority. And so if you don't have kids, hey, maybe that's what God's calling you to do is to, is to be uh, a little bit more active on the mission field and sharing the gospel. Now, we do see here in verse 16, for Israel as a nation, they were to cause physical destruction to those nations. For us, coming from the New Testament, this is spiritual. Spiritual. And I say that because we do not have the authority to destroy those who worship false gods, nor do we want that authority. Uh, That is up to God, right? He's going to deal with those people uh, and he's going to judge them accordingly. Our task is to love those we disagree with and to do it in a way that is winsome and and humble, Uh, not to say that as we interact with people, we're always going to win people to the Lord. There are some people we just have to kind of cut our losses, so to say, and you know what? Lord, maybe you're gonna bring someone else in the life to share the gospel with them because we're just not seeing eye to eye on this. And I'm just gonna pray for this person. Um, and Jesus talked about this, not casting your pearls before a swine, right? There are those people that are so hard-hearted, they don't wanna hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can try and try and try, but we cannot argue people into the kingdom of God If we could, we can argue them out of it, right? God's gotta do that work in their heart and in their life. And and that's what he's called us to do, right? We're we're to be winsome to them, but at the same time, we need to have a separate position, not be contaminated by their ideas or the activities of the lost world. I remember years ago, um, I wanted to see my sister come to Christ. And uh, God was moving our heart to come out here about nine years ago to, to plant a, a church. And it was shortly after that that my stepdad passed away from cancer. And I just remember thinking, I, I need to go out there. I need, to, I need to win my sister to the Lord. I remember God speaking to me, not audibly, but in a small, still voice. And he said, Tim, you could drag your sister to church. You could raise her hand at the invitation. You could even move her mouth for her to say the words. Unless she truly means in her heart, I can't do that work. She's got to want that relationship with me. And I begin to realize, okay, Lord, you don't need me to reach my sister. You can reach her however you want. And I just begin to pray, fast and pray. And, and little did I know at that time that it would be at the memorial service that a good friend or associate pastor, Pastor Bud, would at the end of the, at the memorial service, give an invitation that my sister would give her life to the Lord. And she would call me up a day later and say, hey, Tim, I just want to tell you, I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> That's amazing. And the Lord, was, you know, reminding me, like, see, I didn't need you. <laughs> I can reach people, but you need to be praying for them. You want to be salt and light to them. And my sister's telling me, you know, those times where I was just struggling, and you and Anna came over, and he brought pizza, and he helped clean the house, and do the dishes, and take the trash on all those things, and and I said, I don't remember that, but maybe we did, I guess, and she said, you know, her husband and her afterward just go, there's something different about those guys, like they come over to be helpful, and they don't like interact like everyone else, and gossip about other people, and just be always putting people down, and and she's like, we were just so perplexed by that. And she's like, now I get it. It's the joy of the Lord, you know. And, and so God can do that work. And he wants us to be a light to those around us. But he doesn't want us to be contaminated by the things of the world. So he's called us to be separate from it. But again, he's, he hasn't called us to isolate ourselves from the world. The world needs our witness and our service. And we're to work with people Um, but we're to be careful not to compromise our witness for Christ. We can make a difference in our community, knowing it's good for humanity as we seek God's best for those around us, and we do things for the glory of God. And I'm amazed when I hear the many ways that people in our fellowship are being in the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, I love hearing those stories through the grapevine of what you guys are doing to Bless those around you, and how you're helping neighbors—whether it's clearing snow, or bringing food, or going to help someone with a repair, or helping someone move something—and just all kinds of things that you guys are doing. And um, it just reminds me that the Lord is blessing you, and you're using those blessings to bless others. Whether it's your time, your talents, your um, treasures—I'm just encouraged by um, that—that you guys are doing that, and um, you're being the hands and the feet of the Lord, and. And you're really uh, becoming a blessing to those in our community. Whether you realize it or not, you're being salt and light to those around you as you interact with them. Well, next we'll see there are some promises that God makes for Israel, but we'll also see there are some promises that we can claim ourselves. And we'll see that in the last part here, the chapter, uh, verse 17 through verse 26. He says here in verse 17, If you should say in your heart, These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among those until there are none left who hide themselves from you and destroyed. You shall not be afraid of them, nor for the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you, little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed." And he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under the heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you've destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet silver nor gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly destroy it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing. We'll pause there. We see here in this, this last section that Israel was to be reminded of the victories that God had done for them. Right, That he's already done them for the people and brought them out. And it's a good reminder for us. We can see the faithful track record of the Lord in our life as well. And he begins to remind them how he brought them out of Egypt and did wondrous miracles there. And, and, uh, and that he would bring this fear into the hearts of the people of Canaan. They would hear about the defeat of Egypt, the opening of the Red Sea, uh, the defeat of the nations east of the Jordan. And then those nations would begin to be afraid of Israel, really afraid of the God Of Israel. And so Israel was reminded that the Lord had done this work, that he had fought for them and won these victories. And I think too often, we can let our past define our future. Instead, we need to let the Lord define our future to realize he has a plan and a purpose for us, that his way is a lot better than our way. And I believe that God still goes before his people today, that our victory is in Christ. And, and we see that their assurance was the Lord was with them, as it says here in verse 21, as they invaded the land. And that should have encouraged them. It should have caused the Israelites to be brave and be strong and courageous in the Lord. And, and for us, we should have that same sense of assurance, knowing the Lord is with us, that, that God is our refuge and our strength. It was interesting, as I was looking at different commentaries, uh, there was this footnote about, this British expositor, uh, G. Campbell Morgan. And uh, he's a great, great expositor. A great, he's got some great commentary. And he, he shares this story. He said he was visiting some elderly sisters when he was a young pastor. And he was reading the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is instructing his d- disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things he has commanded and that, lo, he is with them always, even to the end of the age. And as he's sharing this with these elderly sisters, he said, isn't that a wonderful promise? And one of the sisters stood up and said, young man, and he began to listen. She said, that is not a promise, it is a reality. And he took a step back and he said, that is true. (laughs) And he began to realize what he was calling a promise was reality, that God was there already. And it's a reminder that we need to see God's word as the truth for us today. It wasn't just a promise for Israel. It's a promise for us. It's a reality that God is with us, right? That he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is present with us. Even though we don't feel like he's there, he's there. We can call upon the name of the Lord our God. And we see here in verses uh, 22 and 23, it reminds us that Israel gradually made their way through the land They'd win one victory after another as the Lord was with them. they begin to grow in their faith and better trust the Lord. And it's a reminder to us that we need to trust the, God's timetable for us. So after we're in a hurry, we want to get things done for the Lord, and God's like, hold on, I, gotta, I got this all worked out. You just need to trust me. I'm going to show you the next step to take. You take that, and I'll show you the next step to take. And We're like, God, I really just want to see like the next ten steps. So I know where I'm going. And, and I think if God did do that, we probably wouldn't wanna take that first step. It'd be overwhelming, right? But he calls us to follow after him. And as we do that, we see he works little by little in our life. We see God helping us overcome struggles that we face and, and he helps increase our faith in this process of little by little. And so the people of Israel had to be uh, obedient to God's clear command to remove the detestable things out of the land and completely remove them so they wouldn't be a snare to them. Anyone that took something home that was devoted to destruction would be in trouble. It's interesting because in essence, Moses is predicting exactly what would happen. If you've read the book of Joshua, which we'll get to uh, after this study of Deuteronomy, uh, and you get to the point where they have just gone around Jericho and defeated Jericho and they're about to go into the next town of Ai, and, and caused destruction there. And there's this guy named Achan. Uh, he decided that there was some silver and gold and beautiful garments that really weren't so bad. And he began to take them for himself. Even though God said, don't take that. Leave it for destruction. And so he took it home. It's almost like he didn't pay attention to God's word, right? He knew what God had said, but he kind of ignored it. And it ended up in his destruction. They called out tribe by tribe who it was, and then clan by clan, and then family unit by family unit. And then he was singled out as the guy that took the things that he wasn't supposed to take. And him and his family were destroyed because of that. And so we see that God told them ahead of time to be obedient unto him. And, and uh, it's a reminder to me that sadly there are people that do the same thing today. They'd rather have the spoils of this world that enjoy the blessings of obeying the Lord and hearing His voice. So in closing, the pull of this world is constant upon us. And we're to be very careful that we do not lose focus in our desire to follow after Jesus Christ. But we want to hear His voice and follow Him. J.C. Ryle said, It costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere Nominal Christian to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, follow Christ, believe in Christ, confess Christ requires much self-denial. Recently I've been reading more about uh, people overseas who are sharing the gospel and, and, and some of them are giving their life for the Lord as they're uh, sharing with those in their community in and, and these hostile and persecuted areas. And it's deeply encouraging to me to watch and to see their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This, to be a light for Jesus, no matter the cost of them. And it reminds me of the early church. The early church had no buildings, no academic degrees, no real political influence. And yet they depended upon the word of God and prayer. And they were the people that turned the world upside down, really turned the world right side up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gave them great victories as they went around and proclaimed the good news. I believe God can do the same among his people today. As we depend upon his word and the power of prayer and allow his spirit to work in our lives, that we can begin to see those victories too. We can begin to see those around us that we care about come to Christ as we pray for them and be a witness unto them. And my hope is that we would do that. We would depend upon getting into the Word and knowing what God's Word says. Be dependent upon prayer and upon the Holy Spirit to work. And that we'd also get used to being different as we follow Jesus. To not follow the ways of the world and the culture, but to follow Christ. Even if that looks a little bit different from everyone else. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for reminding us of the truth of your Word. We ask, God, that you just continue to help us to live out this reality that, God, you are with us always and that, Lord, you promise to help us with the struggles we face. We ask, God, that we would depend more upon you than we depend upon ourselves or even others. We ask, God, that you'd help us to be people of your word and not just hearers, as we started out saying, but doers of your word people that truly want to be a light to those around us, to see those enemy strongholds come tumbling down, to see the chains that are binding people in bondage be broken, to see people who are broken restored and made whole, to see those walking in darkness to walk in light. God, we pray that you'd help us to be salt and light to those around us. Help us to love people to you to speak the truth in love, to demonstrate your love to them. And God, we do ask this morning if there'd be anyone here among us watching the live stream online or listening to this message later on who need to make that decision, they want to surrender their life to you, we ask God that today would be that day. We ask God that you would convict them of their sins and convince them of your amazing grace for them. That Jesus, you love them. That you died on the cross for them. That you were buried and rose from the dead. And that you want to offer them forgiveness and everlasting life. And If you're here this morning, say, Pastor Tim, pray for me, pray with me. I need to get right with God. I need to come clean before him. I need him to save me. I need to know that I know that I know I'm going to heaven when I die. If that's you this morning, you're ready to make that decision, I want to lead you in a prayer in just a moment where you call upon the name of the Lord, and you put your faith and your trust in Him alone to save you. And if that's you, I just simply want to encourage you to repeat this prayer after me and mean it in your heart. God, I realize that I'm a sinner that my sin separates me from you. I believe that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose from the dead. Lord, please forgive me of all my sins So I now surrender all of my life to you. Help me from this day forward to follow you Put your spirit within me that I may do your will. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Look, if that was you and that was the first time you prayed to receive Jesus or maybe a rededication, let me know. I'd love to encourage you, pray with you, Uh, give you a Bible if you don't have one. You've been listening to From the Inside Out with Pastor Tim Molter of Calvary Chapel, Fergus Falls, in Minnesota. We're glad you could join us today as we study God's Word, cover to cover, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. Would you like to partner with us? Consider becoming a giver with us to support this ministry. Please visit ccfergusfalls.com slash giving. Find out more about this ministry and all of our ministries check out ccfergusfalls.com. May God bless you as you study his word with us and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My life to you, I give shout from the inside out.